Okay, let's take our Bibles out. We're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. It says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. And displease God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So, as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last." I remember when I was in junior high. In fact, it was my last day of junior high. My last day of junior high, you basically had to go around, get checked out of your classes, made sure any fees were paid and that kind of stuff. My friend and I had gone around to all our classrooms and got checked out and taken care of everything that needed to be taken care of. And, and we were just kind of playing around out in the yard right out in front of the locker rooms and classrooms there. I came around the corner and picked up this thing that he had thrown to me. I don't even remember what it was. It must have been a ball of some sort or something. And he goes, here, and I turned to throw it, and just as I turned, I saw a science teacher come out of the door. He was also our wrestling coach and football coach, and I was thinking, I know I'm not supposed to throw this, but technically I'm not in school anymore. <laughs> this is the last day. My friend is still going, come on. And I looked at the science teacher, and he had kind of a grin on his face. So I thought, oh, looks friendly. And I threw it to him. And he says, all right. You two come with me. And, <laughs> and so we went with him and he directed us to the teacher's lounge and he walked over to the copy machine and, and there was teachers in there enjoying their last day of school, just kind of drinking coffee and visiting. And we got to be their entertainment for a little while as he handed each of us a ream of paper and told us to just stand there with our arms straight out holding a ream of paper. Those are heavy. And we had to do that for quite a while, a long time. We'd, we'd get to where you couldn't hold them up anymore, and you'd drop your hands, and you'd go like that, and you'd go, up, 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 get them up, and we'd back up. And, and the teachers were commenting on, I don't remember if they placed bets on how long we could have them up there or not, but they were commenting on, on how long we'd be able to hold it up or not hold it up, and that kind of thing. And, and so at any rate, the point is, uh, I listened to the wrong voice at that time, right? I, I knew the rules. I shouldn't have done it. I... I listened to a friend that got me in a little bit of trouble. You know, it's important, the voices that we listen to. The book of Hebrews tells us just such a thing on a spiritual level. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. He says, look, if we neglect this salvation, then there's no other hope for us. But how do we receive this salvation? How do we experience this salvation? We have to hear about it. And he says it was first declared by the Lord, and then it was attested to us by those who heard the Lord. In other words, the apostles and some of the disciples that followed Him. It was attested to us by them, and with the Holy Spirit putting His stamp of approval through the miracles at that time, showing us that this Word of God that was coming to us really is the words of God. And so in other words, the whole point is, you know what, who are you listening to? This message of salvation originated with Christ Himself. He gave us this message. The apostles who were with Him and heard it guaranteed us of this message, confirmed this message. The Holy Spirit confirmed what the apostles were saying through these acts of miracles distributed according to God's will. 
We don't pay attention to that message. There is no other hope. There is no other salvation. Just the gospel that we get through that avenue, the Word of God, because that's where they wrote it all down for us. Well, as we look in 1 Thessalonians, that's exactly what he's dealing with when we come to verse 13 of chapter 2. He says, We're thanking God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. He's remembering back to when they first went and preached the Gospel there. And he says, you know what? When we came in preaching the Gospel, the Word of God to you, you recognized exactly what it was. You, you knew it wasn't just the words of man. It was the Word of God that came to you. And he says, you received it. And that's, and that's really our responsibility, isn't it? That's, that's, that's our end of it. The Word of God is proclaimed and we, we receive it. We hear it. We welcome it. We understand it. We receive it into our lives for instruction in our life. We receive it and believe in it for the salvation of our souls. And that's what they experienced. And that's what the Apostle Paul was so grateful to God for. And he's focusing on in this passage. And that's what we want to focus on this morning is receiving God's Word. Now, as we look through this passage, we're going to find three reasons to receive God's Word. The first reason to receive God's Word is that it is real. It's real. It, it really is the Word of God. It, you know, every once in a while I hear somebody say in re- regards to the Bible that, well, it's just, it's just words of man. You couldn't be farther from the truth. The Bible is the most amazing book written in the history of the world. You will not ever find another one like it. Might be why it's kind of on the bestsellers list year after year after year every year because it's such an amazing book. I heard one one time I was talking to uh, somebody and they told me that they had read the Quran and they said, "Yeah, I read the Quran." And they said, "You know, what? it's it's kind of like the Bible." And I thought, "You are incredibly wrong." You might read some things might kind of sound like the Bible, different content that maybe be similar to the Bible, but you know, the, the Quran was really kind of written by it was one person's teaching, Muhammad. The Bible is an amazing book. It all fits together like one book, but there's actually 66 books in it. But you find the main storyline and theme and pointing to Christ. You find what we came from in the beginning and where we're going in the end. And this whole struggle with sin and our relationship with God and us being outside the garden and the Hebrews being in exile and and then being redeemed, being brought back. You find this amazing storyline that works all the way through the Bible. And when you realize that the authors, how little connection they had, you think, how in the world could they have ever written it? Because the Bible was actually put together, it was written over a space of 1,500 years. It was written by 40 authors. And these authors came from various walks of life. Uh, tax collectors and a, a doctor and, and fishermen and shepherds and kings. Various walks of life that would have given them various points of view. That it was written over many, many, many generations. It was written on three different continents and three different languages that composed it. And so you're talking about people that are separated by geography, separated by culture, separated by language, separated, but yet they all had a part in writing this book that just fits together like one. There's not another book in the world like the Bible. The Bible itself declares to be the Word of God. In fact, I got a little bit curious this weekend. I was uh, searching different phrases and words within, uh, within a Bible app that's on my phone. And this is what I found. I found that the word for declares the Lord, or that little phrase, declares the Lord, 1,408 times it says declares the Lord in the Bible. Says the Lord, 2,376 times. The Lord said, because said is different than says, so that will show up different. So 4,752 times Now, there's other phrases that you could pick and search out too. I'm sure that I didn't even think of. 
But just on these three, over 8,500 times, throughout the Word of God, he's continually saying that God says this, and God declares that, and God said this. It is the very Word of God. Then we also have Scripture's teaching uh, about itself. The Apostle Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, says all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what he's saying in 1 Thessalonians in the passage that we're looking at. He says that when you receive the Word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. It really is the word of God. The word of God is real. Peter would say this in his first epistle. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that we that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look. I love this passage. It's, it's astounding to me because basically what he says is he says the prophets, right? The, who were the prophets? The prophets were the guys that came with the Word of God. Thus says the Lord. And they wrote these things down. That's why we have the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah, major prophets, minor prophets, which the only difference between them is the length of their books. And then you know what they did? They studied them. They studied what they wrote down. And they studied a why to see, he says, what times they were talking about, what people they were talking about, this salvation that the Bible's declaring, what are the details, what's, how's this gonna work, how's God gonna fulfill these promises? They wanted to know. I've, I've written a few things in my life. I've written papers in college, written articles in the newspaper, or written some things to respond to different issues. And you know what? I find that I never study my own writings. Why? Because I know what I said. I know what I meant. I'm not asking the who, what, when, where, and whys about something that I wrote down because I already know that stuff. But the point is, these guys didn't know it. They wrote it down and then they studied it because it wasn't their words. Whose words was it? It says the Spirit that was in them. So it is the Word of God. In Peter's second epistle, he says this, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's why you see Peter even referring to Paul's writings in some of these same ways as well. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 16, it says, Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures. Now that's interesting because what it means is one of the things you see right off the bat is that Peter is reading Paul's letters. But then he says, and for our purposes today, they they do that with some of Paul's writings, but not only that, they also do that with the other Scriptures. Notice he puts Paul's writings on the same level as the Scriptures. He, He refers to them and then refers to the other Scriptures as well. So Peter saw Paul's writings as inspired. And that's why we still have all these books today. You know, every once in a while somebody says, well, how come there's other Gospels that were written that we found? How come those aren't in the Bible? 
Well, it's because they, they never were in the Bible. They never were accepted by the church. They never were recognized as inspired by God. There's a reason they were lost. Because they're, they're not the inspired writings of Scripture. Uh, but these ones that we were recognized um, from, the, from the beginning by the church as those that were inspired, the inspired Word of God. Not only that, but we also see these with these declarations of the Word of God, we also see the promise of the coming together of the Bible and the creation of the Bible. And we see that in Jesus' teaching. In John chapter 12, in verses 48 and 49, it says, "...the one who rejects Me and does not receive My words has a judge." The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Whoever rejects him and does not receive his word is going to have one judge that he's going to stand before. And the thing that's going to judge him is the very words that Christ has spoke. Well, then, if we go up a couple chapters farther, John chapter 14, Jesus makes a statement, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. In John chapters 14 through 60, He's promising the coming of the Holy Spirit. Then in a few verses later, He says, Whoever has My commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves Me, and he who loves Me will be loved by my Father, and I will love Him and manifest myself to Him. John chapter 14 and just two verses later, it says, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Notice something that he's making a repeated statement of. He tells the disciples, You love me, you keep my commandments. He says, anybody that rejects me or rejects my commandments will have one judge at the end. Even the commandments that I've said, even the words that I've spoken, that's what will judge him. He goes on to say, not only the apostles, but everybody, everybody who loves him keeps his word. Anybody who doesn't love him doesn't keep his word. So here's the thing that you've got to recognize right now. At this point, there's no written record of anything that Jesus said. Now, after Jesus leaves the scene, there's going to be... At that point, no written record of anything that Christ had said. But yet, we're all going to be judged according to what Christ has said and whether we've received that or not. Which means, if that's going to be the standard of judgment, not only for the apostles, but for everybody going forward, for each one of us, if we receive Christ, we receive His commands. If we reject Christ, we reject His commands. If we reject His commands, we're being judged by His commands then that means that there has to be some record of His commands that would go through the future perpetually. How could we reject His Word if His Word's not there? That means we have to have His Word going on into the future present among us. Now, through chapters 14 and 16, He tells us how we're going to get that Word. And that comes through the ministry of the Spirit of God. Just like Peter said later, Jesus is talking beforehand and is telling us what's going to happen. John 14, verses 15 through 17 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the, and he refers to him as the Spirit of truth. That's significant. Why? Because he's going to be the revealer of truth. And so then when we get to verses 25 and 26 of John chapter 14, he says, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will do what? He will teach you all things 
and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Keep those two things in mind. He's going to teach you all things. Bring to your remembrance. Now, just two chapters later, and it's still same conversation, ongoing. Chapter 16, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't hear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, there he is again, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Now, here's what I find super interesting. In chapter 14, it says he was going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In other words, he's telling the apostles, the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of the things that I've told you. And that's what we have in the Bible in the Gospels. We have the record of the, the apostles' eyewitness accounts of all the things that Jesus did and taught that God wanted to be recorded within Scripture. The Holy Spirit quickened their memory, allowed them to remember everything, and inspired them to write it down for us to be able to have the Gospels. And then, But notice it says, He will teach you all things. In chapter 16 it says, He will guide you into all the truth. Those are basically saying the same thing. That's what you find in the epistles. And then what is the last thing that He says? It says, He will declare to you things that are to come. It's the book of Revelation. It's actually part of First and Second Thessalonians. Deal with some of the things yet to come. So there's a few places around the New Testament. But it pretty much when you look at it, Jesus talking to His apostles right there pretty much promised them the New Testament. He says, look, you can't take everything that I still have left to teach you. But you know what? When the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to remind you of everything that I said. The Gospels. He's going to guide you into all truth. The Epistles. He's going to show you things to come. Revelation and a few other places. And that perfectly outlines what we have in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul said, you know what? You guys got it right off the bat. We came in and began declaring to you to the Word of God. And you know what? You recognize that it really is the Word of God. But not only is the Word of God real, but God's Word is effective. Notice the end of verse 13. It says, The Word of God which you heard from us and you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as it really is the Word of God which is at work in you believers. In other words, the Apostle Paul is looking and saying, look, I can see the Word of God active among you. How does he know that the Word of God is at work? How can he see the Word of God at work? It's the things that we already talked about in chapter 1. It's the work of faith and labor of love and, and steadfastness of hope. It's the assimilating into the church and evangelizing the lost and separation from things that are evil and, and occupation with the things that are good and the anticipation of the return of Christ that we already talked about in chapter 1, verses 1-10. through 10. He could see that at work, alive, within them. That's how God works within us. Through His Word, as we learn His Word and His Word transforms our life. The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and sinks it deep into our heart and, and we change. That's how it happens. You know, James talks about the power of the Word of God, its, its effectiveness in our life. Remember in James 1.21, it says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. You know, the Apostle Paul would write to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 15 of the second epistle to him. It says, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred Scriptures were able to give you the insight, the wisdom to experience salvation. But not only is it effective for salvation, which would be good enough, it's also effective for life. 
And how do we live out that salvation here in this world? The next two verses in 2 Timothy says all Scripture is breathed out by God, as we read earlier. And because of that, it is what? It is profitable. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Notice the conclusion that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Everything that you need to accomplish every good work that God has for you to do, you can find what you need for it right here. The instruction to do it, the power to get her done, is all right here. It is completely sufficient. Why? Because it is completely effective in our lives. Peter would make the same kinds of statements in chapter 1. Now remember, just earlier in the, in the same chapter, he said the prophets studied their own word. Why? Because it wasn't their words. It was the Word of God. And so in the context of talking about the, the Word of God being the Word of God, Peter says this, "...having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, For a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. So Peter would say, you know what, that that Word of God that the prophets wrote down and had to study their own writing because it's really God's Word, he says, you know what, you were born again by that same Word. That Word has the power in your life to pierce into your heart, ignite faith around the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and bring you to faith in Christ. To save your souls. To cause you to be born again, he says. In Second Peter, it says, His divine power. Now remember, this is the same chapter where Peter points to and says, look, this is absolutely the Word of God. These men were carried along by the Spirit to give us the Word of God. Earlier in that chapter, this is how he starts. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, there's a lot in there, so let's walk through it slowly, shall we? He starts off, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that we need to live this life that God has given us and to live it in a godly way which He requires of us, we have that. We have everything that we need. It comes not in our own power, but it comes through His power. Now, if you're like me, coming up to read that initially, you might say, wait a minute, I don't necessarily feel like I have everything I need. I don't necessarily feel like I have all that tap into that resource of power. How do I get it? How do I make sure that I have it? Well, that's the next line. Where does that come from? It says, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. We have all that we need through His power. Where do we tap into that? It says, through the knowledge of Him. Through our understanding of God. Well, then where do we get that? By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. And then notice he kind of comes back to the beginning again, right after that, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So look at what he's saying. Through his divine power, his divine nature, we have everything that we need to live that godly life. It is found in our knowledge of God. As we get to know God better, where do we get our knowledge of God? Through his precious promises. That's the Bible that's in front of you. 
So the Word of God is the element, it's the ingredient that God uses in our life to change us, to transform us, to give us the knowledge of Himself which brings that transformation. It all happens from the Word of God. It's effective. Why do they have faith, hope, and love? Why do they assimilate into the church and and evangelize and separate in, in anticipation of Christ's coming? Because of the Word of God. They received it. They welcomed it when it got preached among them. And they studied it when He wrote these letters to them. And it changed their life. The Word of God is real and the Word of God is effective. We just got to put it to work. We just got to open it up. We just got to dig in and apply it. Well, not only that, but last thing He points out to them, He starts to give a negative example on the other end of things. It's actually meant to be a positive example for them or a positive encouragement for them because he starts to point out that that everybody didn't like the fact that they believed and they were being persecuted by their own countrymen just like the Jewish people back in Judea had been persecuted by theirs but in that we see that God's word is worth the cost see these people were paying a price and the apostle Paul writes to them and he gives them and uses their positive example he says I'm encouraged to see that you accepted it as the word of God part of the reason he knows they have is because even in the face of suffering even in the face of persecution, they still held faithful to the Word of God. Now, he communicates three different things that will be an encouragement to him. He, he, he does it more of a negative way. We're going to make positive statements out of them because this is what they would gain from it. The first thing that we see is, one, that if you're paying the price for being faithful to God's Word, then the first thing that can be an encouragement to you is that you're in good company. Right? He writes to these people and he says, look, you're, I know you're suffering at the hands of your countrymen. But you know what? You're following the example of the Christians in Judea who've been suffering from their countrymen as well. You're in the company of other godly believers that are paying the price as well and willing to go through that suffering. So you're in good company. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, these are the same kinds of people that crucified Christ. And so you're not only in good company with other believers that are suffering today, you're, you're in the presence of Christ. Christ Himself was put to death on that ugly old cross by people. And so he says, as you suffer for Him, you're in in good company. You're you're sharing an experience with Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul actually wanted that experience of knowing Christ through His suffering and His resurrection. And he was very willing to participate in suffering that he might know Christ better. So he says, you know what? You're with Christ if you're willing to suffer for the Gospel's sake or for the Word of God. He says, you know what? You're with the prophets. Because he says, which ones of the prophets didn't they injure or kill? And then he also looks at the apostles and he says, look at us. The apostles and the other missionaries that were traveling with Paul and stuff. He says, you know what? How many towns have they run us out of their towns? In fact, he'd been run out of Thessalonica with a riot that happened there. Imprisoned and run out of Philippi right before that. So the apostle Paul says, look, you're going through some suffering, but you know what? So are other believers in Judea. So did Christ. So did the prophets. So are the apostles. You're in good company. Not only are you in good company, you're pleasing to God. Now, the reason I say that is because he says that these people that are persecuting the Christians and driving them out of towns and doing all these things, he says they're displeasing God. Why? Because what are they doing? They're putting a hindrance in the way of the gospel for other people coming to believe in Christ. So they're stopping the God, trying to stop the gospel from getting to other people who could experience salvation if they hear and believe the gospel. And so he says those people are displeasing to God, which also means for these Thessalonians that if they are standing up and proclaiming the gospel, even amidst suffering, if they're standing for the word of God, standing for the truth and willing to pay the price, that they are pleasing to God. 
God always looks with sympathy and with affection upon his saints as they are willing to pay the price for his word. And then lastly, you're beneficial to mankind. While they were hanging Christ on the cross, he was doing the greatest work for mankind in the history of the world. As he was doing the the one thing that could save them from an eternity in hell, they were trying to get rid of him. But it doesn't stop the fact that he was doing what we needed. You know what? If you're standing for the Word of God in any way, shape, or form, you are doing what this world needs. There's going to be time when the world says, we don't want to hear that and we don't want that. But you know what? You are still exactly what the world needs. What the world needs is Christ. And what the world needs is faith in Him. And what the world needs is the instruction of the Word of God. And it's only when we stand with the Word of God and recognize it for what it is, that it really is the Word of God that is real. Take and use it effectively in our life, recognizing that it's effective, and that we are willing to pay the price that the world finally gets what it needs.